Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, after meeting with the Prime Minister, Jagmeet Singh warns the government shouldn't expect automatic support from the NDP. I have no interest in blindly working with the Liberals. If they want to deliver on real things that help Canadians out, yes, absolutely, we're going to work together. Do Canadians want us to be able to be constructive? Yes, I want to be constructive. But by no means does that mean I'm beholden in any way to working with the Liberals. Has Andrew Scheer done enough to tamp down speculation about his future? I think it's very dangerous for organizations to always get into sort of the grass is always greener mode. Uh, Andrew is a, is a strong leader with strong support in caucus. And another new group forms in the Senate. It's going to be really uh, far more complicated for this government to get bills all the way through the House, all the way through the Senate, probably back to the House and then back to the Senate. It's Friday, November 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Bill Curry of the Globe and Mail. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Mark. So what did you take away from yesterday's meeting between NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? Is there some common ground there? Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because uh, Justin Trudeau doesn't necessarily need the NDP to support his throne speech and his budget, does he? Yeah, he, but the NDP is probably the most likely source of votes. I think uh, by the time that all is said and done with this minority parliament, I would imagine the NDP is going to be the most uh, frequent source of support. And I think the body language, when you compare him sitting around with uh, Jagmeet Singh on uh, this week, compared to the earlier meeting with Andrew Scheer, the Conservative leader, that looked a little bit more awkward for the photos. So I think there is... Uh, there's a bit of an affinity between the two of them, I think, on a lot of issues. Um, I think many liberals would say the Justin Trudeau liberals are uh, a bit more left-leaning than historically was the case under, say, Jean Chrétien or Paul Martin. So um, on things like climate change or, or even pharmacare, there, sh- there should be some agreement, some common ground. They might not uh, be fully in agreement on all things, but there's certainly a, a lot to work with there. Uh, the question, though, will be uh, dollars and, and, and cents, whether there's enough uh, for the Liberals to offer uh, what the NDP is calling for, because the NDP had some pretty big asks, uh, like a full pharmacare plan, which is, uh, whereas the Liberals had only started to promise to take the first few steps. So, you know, that gets pretty expensive. The NDP plan had planned to pay for all this stuff with some, some pretty significant tax hikes which are not part of the Liberal platform. So something's got to give here. You can't, uh, they can't give the NDP everything they want without either having much bigger deficits or raising taxes. So that'll be the challenge for the Trudeau PMO is how to sort that out. Yeah. So what do you make of all of these meetings this week? Uh, today it's the Green Party that's going to be meeting with the, the Prime Minister, um, but of course they only have three seats in the House of Commons. Where where do you think things are at the end of this week? And um, it, it's been interesting because th- these meetings have have not just been about federal politics, but about provincial politics to some extent as yeah, well. Yeah, we had, was... had a few premiers mixed in the mix there. Yeah. Um, I would think for Justin Trudeau, he's got to be pretty pleased with how the week went because he didn't get any firm no's or, or signs that um, uh, any of the leaders are really going to dig in their heels. I mean, it, it would be easiest and, and the least surprising if Andrew Scheer said, look, I'm the official opposition leader, and so I'm most likely going to oppose this government. That's my job. But he didn't say that. He said things like... Uh, you know, there could be some areas of common ground, uh, like cutting taxes or um, benefits for uh, parents of young kids. So 
there was an opening there from Shear, uh, so that was interesting. But I think probably what might have the uh, the Liberals most excited is the the positioning from the Bloc Québécois leader, because Mr. Blanchet, uh, having previously a few weeks ago talked about how say, saying this minority parliament, there's no reason why it couldn't last four years. Uh, he was saying after his meeting with Trudeau this week that. Uh, he doesn't really see a reason why he wouldn't vote for the throne speech. So before even reading the throne speech, he seems open to supporting it. I mean, things could change, but he is he's certainly not being particularly ornery with this government, and he has the votes to uh, to make the difference. Uh, Bloc MPs plus Liberal MPs equal votes passing in Parliament. So um, maybe the Bloc's a bigger factor for uh, this government's survival than we might have, have thought uh, the night, the day after the election. And the Bloc, of course, uh, made a lot of news this week because there was some pushback yesterday from Andrew Scheer and from some provincial premiers on some of the comments that Yves-Francois Blanchet made the other day about not supporting Western Canada or not having a lot of sympathy for them. Uh, uh, is there There is still that sort of dynamic now uh, between Western Canada and Quebec uh, that's something that Justin Trudeau likely will have to pay attention to, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, that's a great point, because if he is seen as relying too much on block votes, well, that's going to make uh, things harder for his other uh, key file, which is uh, kind of trying to build uh, bridges with especially Saskatchewan and Alberta, where the Liberal Party was completely shut out. So topics like equalization are really becoming a hot topic. Uh, Premier Mo from Saskatchewan, Scott Moe, uh, and uh, Jason Kenney in Alberta are both wanting reforms to equalization. And, you know, it doesn't take long for that conversation to start looking uh, to turn into discussions about how much money Quebec gets, because they get far more money on equalization than any other uh, province. So when you've got the uh, the Bloc Québécois leader um, taking on Jason Kenney, that kind of makes Justin Trudeau's uh, job a lot harder of trying to build bridges between uh, the rest of Canada and, and those two provinces. So, um, you know, that uh, leads us into, you know, next week we've got Wednesdays the... Um, uh, we'll have the cabinet announcement, and yeah. that would be a good opportunity for Justin Trudeau, if he's going to do anything, to show how this cabinet is going to have some kind of representation, whether formally or informally, from Saskatchewan or Quebec, uh, sorry, Saskatchewan or uh, Alberta. Uh, that's the occasion. So we'll all be watching to see how seriously he takes that issue, because uh, Scott Moe, after his visit with Trudeau, wasn't that impressed and didn't think that... Uh, there's signs of any particularly new initiatives coming from Trudeau on that. Yeah. Where do you think Andrew Scheer stands at the end of this week? It's obviously been, uh, there have been some challenges for him since the election. Uh, people openly questioning whether he should be the leader of the party in the next election. Do you think he has, uh, he's, he's obviously survived the week, which is uh, a good thing in Canadian politics, but is he, has he set the stage well for, for hanging on to his job? Um, well, yeah, definitely a, a quieter uh, week for him in terms of backbiting from his own side. Uh, we had the news of Peter McKay saying that uh, when it comes time to the party's leadership convention in April that he's going to vote for Andrew Scheer. But in, in some ways, for, with Peter McKay saying that, I think the, the effect of that is it's, it's, it's a message to the grassroots saying, you know, look, the caucus is not going to uh, turf the leader and... Uh, 
there's no there's not going to be an overt campaign from Peter McKay to replace him. Uh, so if if the grassroots of the party wants a new leader, well, then it's up to you. You've got that opportunity. Um, so I think that's the next step. Uh, get through Parliament. Then there's a there's a break where MPs are in the riding right up until the uh, end of January. So I think over that window, we'll get a better sense of uh, whether Conservative MPs in the riding sense that there's a movement for change, whether anybody organizes. So I think it's kind of a wait and see on individual Conservative members, uh, whether they want to mount anything or not. So yeah. I think at the moment it's kind of a, a quiet period until early in the new year to see what happens. All right, let's talk about what's happening in the Senate. Uh, an interesting development yesterday when a new group of senators was created, uh, the former Senate Liberals. So uh, we, we had a, a different group of senators formed uh, about a week ago, and now there's a, another new group. What's going on? Yeah, we're going to need a scorecard here to go when mm-hmm. we wander over to the Senate to cover these guys, because it's, uh, it's getting a bit confusing Um before the election, the biggest group was this group called them uh, the Independent Senators Group. They'd uh, you know, become quite large, um, and the traditional parties, the Conservatives and the, the Liberals, are, are dwindling. And it was to the point where, uh, come January, when uh, Joseph Day is scheduled to retire at age 75, the Liberals would no longer have enough seats to even be a, a, an organized group in the Senate. So. Something had to give, and it seems like their answer is to rename themselves the uh, Progressive Senate Group and uh, see if they can attract a few of those uh, senators who are listed as independent senators into into their camp. So that seems to be the plan. Um, it's kind of fascinating, though, because this comes on the heels of uh, of another kind of splinter group of the ISG and some and a couple former conservative senators. And they're calling themselves the Conservative, uh, the Canadian Senators Group. So they've got the Independent Senators Group, the Canadian Senators Group, and the Progressive Senators Group. And this has all happened kind of over the phone and by email. Like the senators haven't really spent much time in Ottawa. There's been a few committee meetings. So some of them have been here, but I, I've talked to a few senators, and they said this has all been done over the phone and by email. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, you know, when they get back to Ottawa, I assume some of them will be in town uh, uh, when, when Parliament comes back. I don't think the Senate starts exactly the same day as the House of Commons, but around that period, they should be coming back, and then they can start meeting, and we'll see if some, uh, if more movement, if people start switching behind between groups. But it's not entirely clear, like, what's the point? Where are the defining issues? Because the progressive senators group... They said, you know, you're free to join any party you want and do whatever you want politically. So um, same with this, this other group that was formed uh, a few days ago, the, the Canadian Senators Group. It's not particularly clear what what their leanings are to either. It seems slightly conservative, but, uh, but uh, who knows? Um, but I think one part will be really interesting to watch, especially with this... Uh, this government already had trouble with getting bills through the Senate. So now you're going to have a Liberal government have to make compromises with another party to get a bill passed in the House. Then it's going to go to a Senate that is showing it's more likely than in the past to amend bills. Yeah. So these amended bills are going to come back to the House, and then you're going to have to cut another deal or go check with the party that had supported you the last time and make sure they're still on board. So 
it's going to be really uh, far more complicated for this government to get bills all the way through the House, all the way through the Senate, probably back to the House and then back to the Senate. So be fun for reporters. Yeah. All right. Well, we have that to look forward to. Bill, thank you so yeah. much. Have a great weekend. Same to you. All the best. That's Bill Curry from the Ottawa Bureau of the Globe and Mail. If they are trying to create an oil state in Western Canada, they cannot expect any help from us. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctv.ca, Don Martin argues the Bloc Québécois leader is stoking a prairie fire. Martin writes, Yves-François Blanchette has shrugged off any interest in helping create a united Canada. He ignited the fuse on a stick of political dynamite and heaved it at Alberta by saying its oil-based economy wasn't green enough to be worth helping. This could be the musings of an inexperienced political mind who didn't understand the implications of his position. Or it could be a first step in the long game to divide and conquer in the pursuit of eventual independence. In the National Post, Kelly McParland argues, it's time for something more substantive from the Prime Minister. McParland writes, So far, the net outcome of Justin Trudeau's meetings with the leaders of the opposition parties has been some awkward-looking photo ops. It was a nice idea for the Prime Minister to arrange meetings with his opponents, but if all they do is talk past each other, it's no more than another of the exercises in optics that the Trudeau Liberals showed such affection for in their first term. Now's a good time to try something more substantive. At Policy Options, David McLaughlin argues, a national compromise on carbon pricing is within reach. McLaughlin writes, Irony of ironies, it is three Western Conservative premiers who are pointing the way forward. Capping the carbon tax would meet Manitoba's flat levy prescription, it would match the industrial emissions price in Alberta, and it would fit Saskatchewan's call for a pause. The federal government would have to accept some variations in carbon approaches, but the best way to diminish political alienation is to secure policy accommodation. At iPolitics, Tony Dean considers recent changes to the Senate. Dean writes, It comes down to this. The Senate is here to serve Canadians and to protect the interests of smaller jurisdictions and minorities. This requires open minds, a willingness to learn, and at the end of the day, making individual determinations as senators about how we vote as opposed to waiting for a signal from a whip or party leader. These will be the hallmarks of a more independent and less partisan Senate of Canada. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. In Ottawa, the Prime Minister will meet with Elizabeth May, the Parliamentary Caucus Leader of the Green Party, and Governor-General Julie Payette will speak at the 2019 International Women's Forum World Leadership Conference in Toronto. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.